0: and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports the local sports leader. Happy Saturday everybody this is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports top top talk. Wow. I already can't make it through the opening line of this show. That's good. That's going to set the precedent today, Steve. I could only make it through about three quarters of the opening line for this show.
1: I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. we're going to dive right into it. Last night's Suns game was probably one of the worst quarters I've ever seen defensively.
0: And I've seen quarters from, like, 1973 that are just covered in... Oh, you're not talking about those quarters. Sorry. No, that was terrible. I think at one point on the broadcast that I was listening to, because I had to bounce between a couple last night, I think I heard 24-3 to run...
1: Listen, I can, Are you kidding me? I can forgive the Phoenix Suns for losing a basketball game to the number 3 seed Sacramento Kings when you're down Kevin Durant, when you're down DeAndre Ayton. I can forgive you for losing the basketball game. That's not what this is about. But I'm here to tell you that when you are in pretty much cruise control and you have control of this game, at halftime, I think they were leading by, what, 11 points, if I'm doing the math right.
0: They were like slow out of the first quarter, but then after that slow start, it was just, boom, they but were gone.
1: That was one of the ugliest third quarters that I've seen and the Suns to their credit put up 26 in that quarter which isn't like unforgivable it's okay-ish but when you give up 45 points in a quarter if I'm doing my math right then if you did that over four straight quarters you would give up 180 points in a game it's unacceptable defensively especially when you had control of the game that means a lot I mean I again no Durant no Aiton so I take it with a grain of salt But I think
0: right now, what are they, one in six in their last seven? Look, we can caveat the whole thing to hell if we wanted to. But in general, this is a team that was a finals contender two years ago and the best team in the NBA regular season-wise a year ago. And right now, they just look completely lost. I get it. To your point, you're down two of your better players. But you have your best player, or arguably your best
1: player still available. The best player in the game last night was Devin Booker. And they still lose the game. And on top of that, De'Aaron Fox goes out in the third quarter, misses the remainder of the game. Right. But that didn't stop the Kings. Kevin Herter went on
0: a tear, man, which I thought was So I think that was one of the biggest differences. You and I were looking at the box score, and we were saying, oh, well, the percentages are very similar. Yes, but the Kings also attempted 10 more three-pointers than the Suns did. True. And they made an equal percentage or 2% more, technically speaking. But they... In the moments that they needed those three-pointers from Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, when they needed those three-pointers, they got those three-pointers. Whereas I think I heard last night Devin Booker didn't attempt his first three-pointer, his only three-pointer, until the fourth quarter.
1: So something a little bit concerning to me. If you look at the starting five from last night, Devin Booker has 32 points. That's pretty good. Chris Paul had 15 points, 13 assists. That's pretty good for the role that Chris Paul now plays. He's not a primary scoring option on this team, although he was probably... Uh, the second best offensive player in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Akogi, four points. Craig, two points. Biumbo six points. And if you want to dive a little deeper, on the bench, you had two guys who played starters minutes. Actually, three guys who kind of played starters minutes. Oh, I
0: think we can agree the bench outplayed the starting rotation last night. Definitely those three guys that
1: I, I listed, because TJ Warren had 15. Jock Landale had 17. I thought he was very impressive last night. Terrence Ross was the best of the bunch. Human Torch, Back point again. 30-point game off of the bench. And honestly, I'm not sure why that guy's not finishing the game last
0: night. I was so confused. It was about two and a half left in the game, and Terrence Ross got subbed out. They were down by about five at that point, and my immediate response was, well, what are you doing? You're going to take out your hottest scorer, and the only thing that's allowing for Devin Booker to not feel so much pressure in a moment like this, and you're putting back in Josh Akogi for defense? I think. What the, are you doing? Okay, so that's the argument that I
1: can sort of live with is the fact that late in the game like that you're not you're not taking Chris Paul off the floor. You're not taking Devin Booker off the floor. That's two guards. You Terrence could argue that guard. maybe
0: Chris Paul should have been taken off the floor. You could
1: make that argument. I'm but I'm also okay with the we're not taking Chris Paul off the floor in the last couple of minutes of the game. I get that. Then the argument is okay is Terrence Ross your quote unquote 3 is he the small forward in this scenario? over somebody like Torrey Craig or Josh Akogi. And to be honest with you, Kevin Herter was going off so much in that second half that maybe you do keep a defensive-minded guy out there. Because Josh Kogi, by the way, I think is the best defender on the team right now.
0: I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing if you're going to go swapping in defense, don't take your hottest scorer off the floor. That's the take thing. Take off T.J. Warren. They sacrificed buckets. Who had a great night. But take T.J. Warren off. Terrence Ross is on fire last night. Why are you taking him off in the closing minutes of the game? What are you doing? I just didn't agree with the decision. And then, of course, they fell behind by about nine. And at that point, it was over. Worth mentioning,
1: looking at bench stats. Campaign played 16 minutes last night, 0 for 5, 0 for 3 from deep. He only ended the game with 1.5 assists. He is struggling now. And and you know why that, why I bring it up is not to harp on campaign, but simply because we looked at last year's playoff run where Campaign disappears, Landry Shamit disappeared, and last night Shamit didn't get a lot of attention, but he only scored five points off the bench too in 16 minutes it's just that some of these role players need to be getting into the habit of stepping up. Terrence Ross did a great job when it came to scoring. I thought TJ Warren and Jock Landell played great off the bench yesterday, especially Landell. I was really impressed with him offensively. Um, But some of these guys that they're going to need to step up, I mean, if you're looking for a point guard to take over for Chris Paul, if he for some reason needs to miss time or, or if he needs to split time a little bit more evenly, campaign is not warming up to that position. The same way that we saw him not warm up to it against Dallas last year in the playoffs. And that worries me a bit because, yes, you're going to get Durant back. Hopefully, what is it, Wednesday against the Timberwolves? That's is the, the report? latest
0: report, yeah.
1: So hopefully that solves a lot of your problems, and that probably bumps Terrence Ross's minutes down pretty significantly is my guess. Uh, yes, you're going to get Aiton back, which means you're going to have to rely less on Biombo and Landill, which is probably a good thing. But some of these role players really need to figure it out, and they need to figure it out soon.
0: I may be missing something, but if, if campaign is struggling this much, why are we not going to Saban Lee? Like I may have missed the part where I'm, I'm looking at his spot track right now. It says he's on a non-guaranteed and a two-way, so maybe that's the part of it. But like he's not even dressed for these games. He's not listed in the box score. He's not. But he's been a prime contributor in the moments when campaign was out. I mean, he even took away the job from Dwayne Washington Jr., if we're getting to a point where we're struggling this much with the backup minutes behind Chris Paul and, you know, Landry Shamet got limited minutes last night, too. He wasn't all that great. Why aren't we going back to Saban Lee? Is it like I genuinely don't know. Is it he's out of eligible games or is he's on a contract? I don't understand. Is he hurt? Like. I don't know what's going on. Well, and if you're asking me, if
1: it was just an evaluation of talent, I'd rather have campaign than Sabin Lee. I know what campaign can do. I know what he's capable of doing. I just don't think he's doing it right I just want
0: consistency. I don't want streakiness, especially behind a a Chris Paul who is just as streaky. He's not looking like the Chris Paul that we got two years ago anymore. Well, and I don't think he needs to be. So in what he he did yesterday. I argue he
1: needs to be right now. Yesterday, he went 15 points, 13 assists. I think that's a great game for Chris Paul if he's in the role that they're asking him to be when Kevin Durant and DeAndre Ayton are around. I think Chris Paul is probably your fourth best offensive option on this team when those guys are playing. They were not last night, so he needed to be better, but 15 and 13 is a pretty good game for a 30, what, eight year old Chris Paul, 39 year old, whatever he is. That's pretty good. He got the offense involved. He was finding part of what I loved about last night's game was. Biumbo, and Landale in particular getting the ball in the I don't know what you would call it, the uh, free throw paint area. Like top of the key, kind of. okay And they were scoring it felt like a lot from that area. He was finding them there. He was hitting his mid-range shots. You know Chris Paul loves that area. Mm -hmm. And I felt they were really effective from that spot. And you had asked me earlier before the show uh, is it to the Suns detriment that they are a mid-range sniping team? And I think when Durant's around and Paul is there and Booker's there, it makes them great. It's one thing that makes them separates them from the rest is that they can just kill you with mid-range shots. But in a game like last night, I don't think that the Kings had any worries about the Suns taking three-pointers. No. Nope. Because I mean just look at the percentage. Last night they shot
0: 31%. That's not horrible, but it's not good. Well, I mean, just how about the attempts? They were very they If I recall correctly, they had gone 0 for 8 before their first three-pointer in like the first half. It was pretty rough to start from from beyond the arc. Well, nobody in that starting
1: lineup really took threes effectively. I mean, Booker was 0 for 1. Only Ross. Chris Paul was 1 for 5. Biombo obviously isn't taking a 3. Akogi took 1 and missed it. Craig took 3 and missed it. On the bench, most guys didn't take a whole lot because TJ Warren's not a good 3-point shooter. Landale's not going to take any. Campaign is very cold right now, 0 for 3. Shamit only shot 2 and hit 1. Ross was 6 of 10. That's the only guy on the team taking 3-pointers
0: right I now. I mean, he made 6 out of their 9. There yeah. you go. There's your, yeah. there's your differential. Whereas... Kevin Herter made six, but the rest of the team had seven. Distribution's now that's go, a little
1: different. It's got to go up when Kevin Durant comes back. Durant takes threes. It opens up opportunities for Booker to hit threes. Chris Paul's been pretty good from three this season.
0: And I think, Unexpected I think that's important, is that Kevin Durant does so much to space the floor out for the Suns offense that this particular Suns group, whatever five you throw out there, it's incredibly compressed right now. They just don't have an opportunity to threaten you from range because they are lacking the guys that can threaten you from range. And even when they try to threaten you from range, Terrence Ross went 11 of 16, 6 of 10. Is he going to do that again tonight against Philly? We don't know. TJ Warren, 7 of 13. He went 1 of 4. Is he going to do that again? We don't know. Like, it's, it's very unpredictable what the Suns can accomplish. Can I just take one second and kind of do a mea culpa?
1: I, for weeks, have been telling you that I'm not sold on the Sacramento Kings. And I'm not going to tell you that last night's game completely sells me on what they're, what they're doing over there. Well, I mean, but, they, they had their flaws, too, last night. But I'm willing to tell you that Demonis Sabonis is the real deal.
0: Oh, he's great. 27 points, 9 assists, 9 rebounds last night. And it looked effortless. You know it's amazing, too? He's locked in, for sure, to All-NBA, but probably third team. Because there's two centers that are just wickedly talented better than him. But he's a lock for All-NBA this year. And to credit De'Aaron Fox, I mean, I know that he went
1: out in the third quarter, missed the remainder of the game. I don't know the update on his injury situation, but he ends the game with 19 points in 21 minutes. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. Now, he was cold from
0: three. He was one of six, but... He's pretty darn good. Kevin Herter we're impressed also, me a ton last night. He had 29 points. We're also talking about the best fourth quarter player in the league this season. The yeah. best guy with the ball five minutes to go within a five-point game. I'll tell season. you this. I, I
1: don't want the Suns to end up playing the Kings in the first round. Like if the Suns were to drop a few slots
0: because they're sliding right now. This is actually I want to have a conversation with you about later is who do you not want to face? Ugh, there's because a lot of teams I feel I feel like play it's right a long now. list, but I'm curious what you say about it. Coming up next... Are the Arizona Cardinals trying to tank? And if they are, can they tell us? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday.
1: Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Maybe you're not inspired by the re-signing of Will Hernandez or Kelvin Beecham. Maybe Zach Pascal doesn't pique your interest in free agency. It just feels like the Arizona Cardinals really aren't doing much this offseason. Not in the ways of getting better, at least. So the question is, are they tanking the 2023 season already? And if they are, can they just tell us that they are? Can they just flat out say, hey, Cardinals fans, this year's going to be rough?
0: Is that a fair ask of a fan? What's the expression? Actions speak louder than words. Yeah. So let's think about the actions they don't speak that very loud. Well, well, let's think about it. What have, what have we seen? What have we seen? We've seen, to your point, a re-signing of Beecham, a re-signing. Which of I Hernandez. don't mind. By the way, I, you got to strengthen up that offensive line, and having the guy that played all of the games last year is a pretty good place to start. Bring back Hernandez. You bring in Kaiser White. You bring in Zach A Couple guys that have familiarity with the new head coach, maybe also the new defensive coordinator as well. And that's really about it. Now let's think about the words. I can't think of any. Do you have any? <laughs> I don't know what it. Well, think about you. Got to you. Got to count the releases too,
1: right? I mean, uh, chosen Anderson, who wasn't really playing a big role here, but he's gone. Marcus Golden, who a couple of years ago had double digit sacks, he's gone. Rodney
0: Hudson's retiring. It's not. It, it, there's
1: not a lot of additions that supersede the subtractions
0: the point that i'm trying to make is there's a lot more actions than
1: there are words kaiser white might be a fine player for all i know did they really need a middle linebacker
0: no with the way the roster's constructed unless they're sending this in a different direction but if that's the case to your earlier point when you open this segment can you tell us can you tell us what you're doing Please? So I mean, we're not just never, sitting here speculating that you're not doing anything and not trying to be good or something like that? I don't know.
1: They're never going to come out and say, we're going to intentionally try to lose games. That's not what I'm asking for here. But no, that's there, poor phrasing. There are tangible ways for teams to let their fan base know, hey, there's going to be some tough times. There's a way to message it. And I, I think that there's a hey, division th- rival who's
0: kind of figured that out. It's funny you bring that up because I have in front of me from Kevin DeMoff, who is the chief Operating officer of their rival Los Angeles Rams, they sent out a letter, a full-on memo to their season ticket holders. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read what stands out the most. And it is two paragraphs here. We faced a choice this off season. We could once again restructure contracts to give ourselves one last shot with our core roster, but that would mean a total rebuild would be necessary over the next few seasons. Or we could focus on replenishing our draft capital and improving our long-term salary cap situation, clearing the way for us to compete both now and in the future. So wait, you're telling me that FM picks didn't work out so well? Collectively, as an organization, we chose the latter path, believing in the talent on our current roster and the skills of our coaching staff to return us to the playoffs. And then he goes on, telling them where they're at, cap-wise, picks-wise, plans for renovations for the stadium, it even looks like, like... This is an open and honest portrayal of what Rams fans and like the hard-paying Rams fans can expect for this season, right? We're not going to be
1: going out there and trading our picks for star players anymore. Do
0: you think this is all that difficult to do as an
1: organization? Well, it's a completely different scenario that the Rams are in, right? For first of all, the fans are probably more receptive to this than Cardinals fans would be simply because the Rams won a a Super Bowl. They got what they wanted, right? Like for instance, my best friend is a uh, is a Rams fan, Mm -hmm. and I've talked about this with him before. Like, oh man, like you know, it looks like no Matthew Stafford for a while, or oh, they just traded Jalen Ramsey. That was the last time I talked to him about this, and I was like, what do you think? They didn't. They got what was it a third round pick for Jalen Ramsey? That's not very good. And he said, you know what? We won the Super Bowl, and sometimes you go all in for the Super Bowl, and then you're left with not a lot of pieces. To, you got to pick them all up at, after you win, and you got to lose for a little bit. But mm-hmm. you won
0: the Super Bowl. But this is the other thing, And too. if you're a
1: Cardinals fan, you would love to win the Super Bowl and then be in shambles the next year. You'd be like, okay, we won the Super Bowl.
0: In the NFL, too, it the, recover, the recovery time of an NFL team is not nearly as long as it is for a lot of the other major sports, right? We've had Bill Armstrong on these airwaves weeks ago emphasize that their rebuild is at about 40%. 40%. Of a rebuild. And it's been years. He had even earlier mentioned that it takes, honestly, about seven years to fully rebuild a team. Ugh. Like, they're being open and honest I about the fact— I wouldn't say
1: that if I was an executive.
0: You know what? He did. He's probably right. He did. But I wouldn't have said that. And you know what? It puts the Coyotes in a very interesting position. Maybe it weakens the appeal of the team, but I'll tell you what, I'm pretty appealed with the team right now. Look at how well they're playing at home in a 5,000-seat college arena— Look at how well Clayton Keller is playing down the stretch, looking like maybe the next Wayne Gretzky, right? What am I supposed to believe from the Arizona Cardinals if they're not telling me anything? I'm left to assume, and I'm left to assume negative things, and I don't like assuming negative things about the teams that I want to root for, right? I don't want to look my organization in the eye and think, man, they're not going to try this year. And then I start going down the rabbit hole of, But wait, if they don't try, then they'll get a high draft pick. And with a high draft pick, that comes all this and all that. And then maybe they can turn things around and be better again. Don't let me be the one assuming things for your billion-dollar organization. Just tell us. If I were to make an analogy, if an NFL roster was a house
1: and you have a foundation problem in your house— The foundation of a football team, in my opinion, is the trenches. Mm -hmm. It's your offensive and defensive line, which are currently in shambles for the Arizona Cardinals. When you have a foundation problem with your house, that is one of the hardest problems to fix. You are likely going to have to do a lot of digging. You're likely going to have to sacrifice a lot of luxuries that you otherwise might be pursuing in order to fix the biggest problem, the foundation of your house. My point here is, There might be some luxuries on this team that they're going to have to forego while they fix the foundation, while they look for guys who can be interior offensive linemen inside of Humphreys and Beecham. They're going to have to look for the entire defensive line because I don't think they have a single guy right now that I would put as a starter caliber player on that defensive line. So you're going to lose luxuries like DeAndre Hopkins, a $30 million a year wide receiver. They're looking to trade that guy. We're going to talk about that more in depth a little bit later. You could lose the luxury of paying 15 to 20 million dollars a year for a stud safety. And yes, I am sort of floating the idea of do you trade Buddha
0: Baker? There's a lot of hindsight, but if this organization wants to make clear what they're doing. I will accept whatever they tell me. Just don't let me be the one dictating what I think you're doing. If I
1: was named a general manager of a bad football team, let's just be honest. That's what this is. I would want the dream as an executive would be to wipe the slate completely clean and build it back the way you want it. And if that's what Michael Bidwell has promised Monty Awesome for it and this front office, that we will let you guys build the team in your vision. Wipe the, sw- the slate as clean as you possibly can. Let contracts run out like Isaiah Simmons or other guys that you don't maybe don't have faith in. Let them fade to black in free agency. Go draft guys that you want to draft. Trade guys for, for draft picks so that you can build this team the way you see it. Then they need to wipe the slate completely clean if that's the route they want to go. Or you can do what some teams try to do, which is quote unquote retool instead of rebuild, where you add pieces here and there to try to compete while really you're actually kind of trying to figure out the
0: long term future. I just don't know. It just doesn't work. I just don't know if this team will actually accept a full rebuild or even a retool. I don't, again, I don't know what they're doing because they won't tell us. And I'm left to assume the complete negative. And it's frustrating.
1: If, there's, if they're going to do a full rebuild, there's some big pieces that need to fall. And, and maybe we revisit that at another time. We are days away from the MLB regular season. And the D-backs just lost a starter to injury. But there's a silver lining. We'll tell you what that is. It's coming up next on Arizona Sports
0: Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Cruising along on this Arizona Sports Saturday. Here in the Oxygen Community Studios, Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass, as always. Diamondbacks, baseball. Next Thursday is the season opener in Los Angeles taking on the Dodgers. And then a week after that, they will have their home opener at Chase Field. I believe against the very same Dodgers. I don't know why I'm spacing on this in the moment. Last year, it was the Padres. This year, I believe it's the Dodgers. So you get some early NL West action to start the year. We have some questions still. We have some answers, at least, regarding the Diamondbacks. We know who will be pitching day one. That is Zach Gallen, A very well-deserved honor for, for my money, a Cy Young top three candidate for this year in the National League. And we know one thing for sure, but it's on the negative context, and that is Carson Kelly is not going to be ready to start the year. A pitch hit him in the forearm, and it was discovered that he had a fractured ulna, so he will be missing the first two months potentially, according to our uh, our own John Gambadoro. But this creates a unique opportunity, Steve, for someone that you and I are both rather high on on this roster.
1: Yeah, so the Diamondbacks traded for Gabriel Moreno. He was a part of the Dalton Varshow for Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel trade that happened in the offseason. I thought the trade made sense for both sides. I've told you, and we've kind of agreed that we like the idea of the trade. The Diamondbacks haven't had a significant, like, really good catcher in a while. I think Carson Kelly came with a lot of uh, expectations Having come from St. Louis, where he had learned under Yachty or Molina. And so I don't know that he ever lived
0: up to that. And the piece that he was a trade or uh, what he was traded for. Oh, yeah. He was traded for the Goldschmidt trade.
1: Your best player in franchise history, offensively. So and he's speak. the last player left of that trade, by the way. I know. Luke Weaver didn't work out. Andrew Young certainly didn't work out. And you know what? To Carson credit, uh, Carson Kelly's credit, he might still work out in some capacity in the future. It's just we don't know yet. Well, and general, they traded for a better prospect
0: in Moreno. In general, the catching position is rather weak yeah. across Major League Baseball. So I would agree. If you're going to move off of Carson Kelly, you need to do something that's an improvement. And I like that they approached it this way. Rather than saying, hey, we're just going to move on from Carson because Carson is probably one of the 15 best catchers in the league right now out of the 30, going after a top prospect like Gabriel Moreno is a good supplementary acquisition to help bolster that catching room.
1: Now, Moreno played in the majors last year. He got 25 games in, 69 uh, at-bats, seventy, roughly 70 plate appearances last year. He hit 319 on base 356. He was a good player. He did hit one home run, so he's already got that out of the way in the major leagues. Um, he's pushing for 20. This is the kind of guy who doesn't hit a ton of home runs, but he makes really hard contact. Uh, in fact, the most home runs that he's ever hit in one place during a season was 2019. He hit 12. So. I'm not expecting this guy to come in and all of a sudden hit 25 home runs this season or even 20. You and I have a lunch bet on 20, by the way, <laughs> because in the first I, was it the first week
0: of spring. He hit two. his first game as a Diamondback. He hit a home run in his first A B.
1: And you were like, he's going to hit 20 home runs. That was one of your bold predictions. And I basically shut you down. And I was like, this guy just doesn't hit. Home I just, runs keep, at a I, just, good just I will
0: keep sending you his home run videos that he has for the rest of this year. That'll be the thing.
1: Here's the thing. He's 22 years old. Still very young. Yes. We can acknowledge he's great. I love him offensively. I think he's pretty good defensively, too. I think he's ready for this opportunity. It's just that it's coming at a different pace than they anticipated. I expected that Carson Kelly was still going to be the opening day catcher before the injury. Opening day catcher, probably catching three out of five games. Moreno maybe getting the other two or, or maybe even one. Uh, but that just won't be the case now because Moreno's your guy. He's the lead guy now. I assume that they'll call up a Jose Herrera or maybe PJ Higgins gets an opportunity here or there, but neither of those guys are special like Moreno. All of a sudden, Moreno is the workhorse, so to speak, a catcher.
0: And it was interesting because Tori Lavello, the manager of the Diamondbacks, joined Burns and Gamble for his weekly segment yesterday, and that was part of the questioning was, first there was, all right, who's going to join Moreno? And it was kind of a... And laissez Fair, I think, is the correct way to term it, answer, where he said that we have some guys that we like, and we we know that Herrera has had the experience at the big league level, particularly with this club. But then Bernsey asked a good follow-up to that, which was, has this accelerated Moreno's timeline maybe a little too much? And there's some good answer from here from Tori. I think it is. It's, it's kind of accelerating things here. But
1: uh, I think he's ready for it. I think the, the perfect combination, had it landed on Carson and
0: Moreno, would uh, would be for you know the best portion of, of Gabby's development, and at some point he's going to be a frontline catcher. Some point, whether it is two months from now, three months from now, a year from now, we
1: don't know. But this will definitely amplify his um, his development. And as we push forward every single day, that's really what we want. We want to put guys in the right situation to grow and learn. And he's definitely going to get a crash course in that.
0: And. In my opinion, if you're going to make a trade of the magnitude that the Diamondbacks made, yeah, his development or his timeline is going to be accelerated a little bit, but you're also expecting a lot out of this guy. He was the, no disrespect to Lourdes Gurriel Jr., but he was the big piece coming back in this trade. You want to get the most out of Moreno, and he's going to be here for several more years after this. Yeah, getting him off to an accelerated start might not work in his favor, but... You need to get the most out of him sooner rather than later.
1: In the short term, I actually think this makes the Diamondbacks a little bit more potent offensively. I think Moreno's the better offensive player between him and Carson Kelly. And Carson Kelly's not a bad offensive player. It's just... Oh,
0: Carson's it, had 20 homer seasons, I believe, in the past. He had
1: one month. Uh, I don't think it was last season. I think it was the year before. He had a month of April where he just dominated offensively. I mean, he's got the skill set. We know it's there. He just it's just like, has not been able to stay healthy. It's like earlier we were talking to, like, campaign. Uh, if you want to make the basketball analogy. We know what he can do. We know he's capable of it, right? It's just not there every day. It's not there every game. It's not consistent. I think Moreno is the... Epitome of consistency over the course of his career against right handed pitching. He hits 313. He's on base 340 against left handed pitching. Even better, 333 on base 391. He's on base almost 40% of the time against left handed pitching. Moreno is the better offensive option, in my opinion. So while this, yes, is a little early for him to be getting this
0: sort of role on a major league club, I think Tory's right. I think he's ready for it, man. There's some questions that we still need answered though. Um one of them I'm gonna throw at you I think is probably the top of the list, although it's a less impactful day-to-day position because they only get to, you know, participate once every five days. But Tory would not name a fifth starter when he joined Burns and Gamba yesterday. And there has not been any reported or official action in terms of what they're going to do with Dre Jameson. Ryan Nelson, or maybe there's some mysterious fifth candidate we don't even know about. Where do you think that this one's leaning? Are you still leaning Dre? I'm still leaning Dre. I think he's got better stuff than Ryan
1: Nelson. I expect that whoever doesn't get that fifth spot in the rotation could start the season in the bullpen because of other injuries like Corbin Martin, who was a starter, never really caught on in that role, probably was going to be in the bullpen if he made the team. I could see that role being filled. Uh, by a Ryan Nelson if Dre makes the rotation, or vice versa. I-, I think that you have decent options either way. Dre Jameson's the guy for me. His stuff is so good. I think he's got better stuff than probably uh, most of the guys in the rotation.
0: He's exactly. the hardest-throwing guy in the rotation. Exactly. And you need that exactly. in today's game.
1: And honestly, that's the mentality that they use to kind of reboot uh, reboot the bullpen this yeah. offseason. Carlos Vargas can throw really hard. Some of the other guys they went and got throw really hard. Um they added Andrew Chaffin back. I think if that's the mentality in the bullpen, why wouldn't that also be a mentality for Brent Strom when handling the rotation? And I think Dre Jameson makes all the sense in the world.
0: Although Lovello did mention that he's not gonna like carry it out for I'm imagining a decision will come in one of these upcoming upcoming excuse me, uh, exhibition games that they have against the Guardians at Chase Field. Because he mentioned like we want to get the team together, we want everybody to know everybody, and the next thing you know, they're going to have to take off for LA. So this decision, I imagine, is going to come with haste. And I'm with you with everything that you said about Jamison, but I can't argue in defense as to like why Nelson shouldn't. Because I think Nelson is just as de- deserving. One more thing, I want to get your thought on, and that is third base. You got Evan Longoria. You've got Josh Rojas. The assumption is is that they're just going to straight up platoon, but somebody's likely going to get more cracks at it than the other. Who do you think is going to get it? Um, when it comes to specifically
1: third base, my guess is still Josh Rojas. He's younger. I think he's more versatile defensively, although Evan Longoria's been a very good defensive player in his career. I think Longoria is probably more suited for the DH role, which obviously will rotate between an assortment of guys. Longoria, Guriel will certainly be in that mix. But there's also the backup first base position that needs to be filled. Does Longoria crack open a first base glove once in a while and and back up Christian Walker who by the way played I think it was like 160 games last season so it's not like they needed a backup first baseman nope. very often <laughs> no. but even if he lowers that by 20 games 140 games for your first baseman is really good 20 games not that much to fill I would think Gurriel would also slide into The that fear
0: role too. the fear with that and I'm guessing as to why the games he played were so high one because Paven Smith got injured and two because he was their best defender and you need your best defender more often than not. Like, if similarly you look at it with Nick Ahmed, who's going to be healthy to start the year, is probably going to be the opening day shortstop, he, for the longest stretch of time, was their best defender. And they needed him for as many games as they could get out of him. He just couldn't stay healthy. Right. And with Walker, you kind of need that stability in the infield, which going to see, they're going to see some changes this year. No shifting as much. So Walker won't be moving around all that much over on the right side of the field.
1: If I had to make a guess, based on your question, your question was who plays more at third base. I'll change it a little bit. Okay. I think that Longoria will play more at third base than Rojas, but Rojas will play more overall than Longoria because I think he's going to slide over to second quite often to give Cattell Marte either a DH day or a day off.
0: Coming up next, why should the Suns be worried? Got a few ideas. Next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve on Arizona, sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
1: According to Shab Sharani, Kevin Durant could be back as soon as Wednesday. I believe they're playing the Timberwolves. Can't
0: either. come soon enough. No, I mean listen, that's is that even ahead of schedule? Ahead of the three weeks so that we were originally. If I told? did the math correctly. Or if any of our son's insiders, like Kellen Olsen, did the math correctly, it would put it right at the three week nice reevaluation mark. So not even the not even the oh, this is guaranteed when he's gonna play again. At the mark when they said they would reevaluate him. But, you know, he's shooting shots with the team. No, he's not traveling on the road, but they James Jones had mentioned that they like his ramp up um and that he's looking better every single day. And I wonder if at that point, that's when Sham Sharania reaches out to his sources or however it works. And they say, oh, no, he looks like he could be ready to go right at that three-week mark. Hey, which I was, would be huge.
1: Yeah, I was hoping he would be back by that Denver game that's on March 31st. But if he can be back by the 29th, that's great. I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And everybody should be. Especially for a team like the Suns that has spent so little time this season fully healthy, where all their starters who were on the team at the time were available to play. I think it's like five or six games they've played over
0: the course of the entire season where they played all their starters successfully. Do, do you remember, it, this was before the trade deadline, and I remember there was a lineup card. I can't remember the exact day or who they played, but it was Booker, Paul, Aiton, Cam Johnson, and Mikhail Bridges. And it was like the fifth time that that lineup had been put on the floor at that point in the season. Again, just before the trade deadline. 5 times. Yeah. That's not I mean it doesn't help obviously, but the Suns have dealt with you know season long injuries or desperation injuries or that's not the right the right word but excessive amount of injuries before, and they've been able to ride the ship. But right now, it's very much been a detriment to them.
1: Well, then you go and make this monster blockbuster of a trade for Durant, a guy who missed six weeks with an injury when he was on Brooklyn, and then obviously that carried over into his time with Phoenix. He plays three games, which were awesome three games, uh, a great test of their new lineup that they've built. And then he goes down in in warm-ups. Hopefully he doesn't warm up against the Timberwolves on Wednesday. That would be good. Yeah, no, he's not allowed to do layup lines. (laughs) No, no, no no, warm-up. He's
0: not allowed to do any of that. Just Just get on the floor. Just bring him right off the bench. He's Uh, good.
1: I'm kidding, of course. But uh,
0: the question is, how
1: much should they be concerned about what has occurred in the last, I don't know, seven games while he's been out? How about even the last 24 hours, Steve? Well, yeah, if you want to talk about Sacramento... That's pretty specific, but I'm no, looking I don't big even picture. No, I
0: don't even mean the game that the Suns played. Oh. I mean all the games around them. They're now a half game behind the Clippers. They're tied with the Warriors. They're a game and a half ahead of Minnesota and the Lakers. This is a problem. Like, if you want something to fear right now, because this Western Conference is so tightly packed from four all the way down to 13. Yeah. You could easily blink and all of a sudden be at the bottom of the play-in tournament. They
1: are only six games ahead of the Trailblazers who are in 13th. Six games.
0: Now, there's not a lot of games left in the season. Can I request that we rule out the Trailblazers? I just think they're toast.
1: Okay, fair enough. Let's talk about the Jazz at 12, though. Yeah. You're only
0: three games ahead of them. Three. And the Jazz, like, the team that gave away everything in the offseason? Yeah, it's not like the, the Jazz, Jazz have anything to play for right now. No. And they're four <laughs> out of their last six. They've lost two straight. They're, they're not trying to get into the play-in tournament. Danny Ainge came in, and he's like, nope, we're going to start this whole thing over. You know why? Because it didn't work, right? So the fact that they're only three games back of the Suns should be very concerning to Suns fans. I'm
1: cognizant of the fact that you've been without Durant for a while, that you've been without Ayton for the last few games. But at the same time, it is what it is. Your record is what it has to be in a time
0: like that, and look at the over te- the last seven games, they're 1-6. And, and look at the teams below them, too. Oklahoma City, 6 out of their last four. Pelicans, 5 out of their last five. They won three straight. Lakers, on a heater, 7 out of their last 10. I'm surprised how the straight. Mavericks have fallen apart. They've, oh my God, they can't play defense anymore. It doesn't And their best players aren't healthy. I mean,
1: I figured they wouldn't be the best defensive team the way that the roster's constructed. And just, losing Dorian
0: Finney-Smith is big for that. I but, think it's more painful, man. the fact that this team absolutely obliterated the Suns last year. And they might not even make the play-in tournament by the time this is done. That's unbelievable. With a guy like Luka. And Kyrie. And an o- offensive star in Kyrie Irving, too. I, yeah, give him credit. But I just... I don't think the coaching's been all that good down the stretch. They obviously have not been able to get both Luka and Kyrie on the floor at the same time. And they've they've lost a lot of games after that trade. Not a lot of wins. So let's revisit a conversation we were having earlier. Okay. Because we were talking
1: about last night's game against the Kings. It's obviously not a super fair matchup. You don't have Durant. You don't have Aiton. Uh, but they lost to Aaron Fox in the third quarter and still dominated. I said earlier in the show I would not want the Suns to face the Kings in the first round. Because let's be honest, the Suns right now are the five seed and heading south. Now, they get Durant back. Hopefully that helps. But they might be in the back half of the top eight when the playoffs roll around. Mm -hmm. Which teams would you reasonably be okay with playing in the first round? Obviously at the top, I don't want the Nuggets in the first round. I don't want the Grizzlies in the first round. Grizzlies are 8-2 and in their last 10, by the way, including with all the
0: John Morant drama. Sorry to pause. You said with the caveat that Durant and everybody's healthy? Yeah, even with everybody healthy. Why wouldn't you want to face the Nuggets then? Or why wouldn't you want to face the Grizzlies? I don't want to face them in the first round. Those are s- the best teams in the conference.
1: Okay, so the only, They've been
0: consistent. The only credit I would give to both Denver and Memphis is they've been absolutely obliterating opponents at home. And the last thing I'd want to do is have to face one of them in the first round where they get more games than you on their home floor. Right? So the chances are very, very slim in that regard. Fair enough. But between those two... Memphis is the better defender, but their offense is all out of whack. And for some reason, it's because Steven Adams has been hurt. Denver has maybe one of the best offenses next to the Kings in the West this year. But they have very much slipped defensively. Yeah. And I wonder, like, should we even fear them? But at the same time, I'm looking at it vice versa with the home stats. And they have easily one of the best players in the league right now. Memphis has an exciting player, but they they just do a lot of talking. They don't have the full pedigree yet. Yeah, they're not very good on the road. 14 and 22, it's just
1: not that good on the road. Kings, I don't want to see the Kings in the first round, not the way they've been playing lately. The Clippers, I'd be okay with playing the Clippers.
0: Like I said, I'm still not scared of them.
1: I'm not. I believe they're cursed. I love Kawhi Leonard as a player, and to his credit, he's been playing, actually playing in back-to-back games mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks. Well, they know. These games matter now. Right. I, I think I'd be okay playing the Warriors because they're one of the worst road teams
0: in the league. Like, they are Spurs-Rockets-level bad on the road. I don't know what to think of them. You know, because they just—they're defending champs. What am I
1: supposed to do? Tell me if this makes any sense. The Warriors are 30 and 7 when playing on their home
0: court. Yes. They're 9 and 29. No, of course it doesn't make sense. On the road. That makes no sense whatsoever. They've played like a 500 team all year, injuries in and out. And are they they're benching like all their players on the team. road.
1: Like, are they doing something different? <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't know. understand.
0: The Timberwolves. It's kind of a punch in the face, right? Would, Jordan would, Poole. I would love to play the Timberwolves in the first round. Oh, that's probably the one safe matchup I would take.
1: Uh, Now, at this point, the only way that happens is if Durant comes back, you win every game for the rest of the season, and the Timberwolves stay at, like, the 7-8 range, and you work your way up.
0: They're six back of Sacramento. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't either. I don't want to play the Lakers, but I'm not afraid of the Lakers. I realistically think the Suns' best chance, like, their best seed, the best seed that they can get is four. Probably. The worst seed they can get, however, is like 12 and miss the playoffs. Yeah, there's
1: a lot of variability
0: there. I think I'd be okay with a Pelicans
1: rematch. If they somehow face the Pelicans in the first round. Again, not likely the way it's Zion is resuming
0: on court activity. Uh, I don't know. That was a fun matchup last year. It was, but they didn't have Zion, and now they will. Yeah. And, and Zion Pelicans are a completely different team in comparison to Zion less Pelicans. Uh, the last one I'll mention, I'd be completely fine with
1: facing the Thunder. I don't know if that's even possible brand, statistically, I, but...
0: I don't want to overlook them, but they are brand new to the party, yeah. so to speak. It just feels way too early for them to
1: overcome a team like the
0: Suns in but the But they have course. a very intriguing team, and they were without their top draft pick the entirety of this year. They might be one of those teams that turns a lot of their assets into a fine acquisition, right? Jalen Brown might be available in free agency this offseason. They could just certainly afford to give him a max. There's plenty of options that they could go after. Like, Chris Middleton will be available, the Thunder are one of those teams where it's like, watch out, because if they do something in the offseason, they might contest for a top-six seed. Are the Arizona year. Cardinals already tanking
1: next season? And if they are, should they just come out and say it? We'll ask our Cardinals insider that's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.